and welcome to yet another anime podcast. Who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. Apologies for the episode being a week later than normal. As I mentioned last episode, I started a new job this week, so I didn't really have time to record this past week. Though, given that our last episode was also a week behind, maybe that's not all that bad. Uh, we'll be back to our normal first and third Fridays of each month's schedule for September. Um, in any case, this extra time also gave me time to check out a few new anime and also do some research on this week's topic, Chinese cartoons. Now, I know that the long-running, somewhat questionable joke is that anime, cartoons from Japan, have in the Western anime fandom been jokingly referred to as Chinese cartoons, probably because some parents didn't really know any better the difference between Chinese and Japanese cartoons. However, in this episode, we are going to be talking about cartoons that actually are legitimately produced by Chinese companies, be it animators or producers. Now, what prompted this episode was that my friend Lara had actually posted on Instagram about following a show this season called Link Click uh, that was airing on Fenimation that I completely missed in my season review and it turns out it was a Donghua from China um, and also fun funny when the the day after this episode was supposed to come out last week uh, Gigak ends up dropping an episode on link click as well uh, which I haven't seen myself because I wanted to you know have my, this episode be my own thoughts without being influenced by other people or at least Gigak's view so um really bad timing I guess it looks like I'm coming up but I swear I'm not uh, in any case you know um, you know, I also remember a few years back that some people were saying that one of the best anime of 2017 was the King's Av Avatar anime about esports which again was an anime from China. So I figured I'd do a crash course on this cousin to anime, the Donghua. And also, fair warning for any native Chinese speakers, I'm probably going to butcher those names even worse than I butchered Japanese words. Um, I think a Chinese course my freshman year of college, I ended up having to drop out just so I couldn't hack it. And, you know, while my Japanese, you know, pronunciation isn't great that definitely comes from having seen anime for you know over a decade at this point whereas uh my ear still isn't quite used to being able to replicate the sound of chinese so uh bear with me here before I get to that crash course, though, uh, in one 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 note, while I did mention the joke of anime being Chinese cartoons, partly comes from a well-meaning, if clueless parents not really knowing much better, um, there is honestly some truth to it. If you have been paying attention to ja Japanese anime industry for a while now, you'll know that the ever-increasing number of shows produced each season and each year, production companies are relying more and more on outsourcing animation, for be it in-between work or even flunky animation, to people outside of Japan. Um, you know, this includes Korea, South. East Asia, and yes, China. Uh, we'll get into that history in a little bit, but while there may be a preconception that Chinese Donghua is inherently inferior to Japanese anime for some reason, uh, while I can't say I'm a Donghua enthusiast, I do think that sentiment fall, falls apart when you really consider that Japanese anime really do rely on Chinese outsourced animation. So, you know, if in terms of quality, it's, I don't think it's really any, any less. So the term I'm using, Donghua, comes from the, the Chinese characters for moving, Dong, and drawing hua or dong hua uh, much in the same way that anime in China, Japan is used to refer for the any form of animation including the Simpsons or Disney cartoons and not just specifically those from Japan dong hua similarly refers to any form of animation inclusive of South Park to Rick and Morty to you know Bojack Horseman of course here in the west we fetishize those foreign animations and give them their own label uh, so from here on when I refer to dong hua I'm talking about animations from Japan be it either by Chinese animators or production companies um, even if that does lead to some overlap with Japanese anime, as we mentioned previously, due to outsourcing or similar collaborative projects. Now, while Japanese anime has a much bigger reputation abroad, it's not as though Chinese animation has been non-existent all these years. In fact, there is a case for early Chinese animation actually having a huge influence on early Japanese anime in the first place. 
For most of the following section, I got this information from various YouTubers, uh, particularly Accented Cinema and Donghua Reviews, among others. I'll link those in the show notes, but definitely check them out for a slightly more detailed take. Uh, here's kind of like the Cliff Notes version. Um, you know, I'm no expert when it comes to Chinese history and what and all the implications. So grain of salt here, but I'm doing the best I can. So, while animation here in the West started at the turn of the 20th century, uh, with the first cartoon being the French ant cartoon Phantasmagore in 1908, it didn't take long for this new technology to spread to the East in the early 1910s. Uh, the first Chinese animations were from the Wan brothers um, as advertisements for various projects ranging from typewriters to tobacco. Um, these brothers, considered the fathers of Chinese animation, would continue producing sword films in black and white through the 1920s, uh, though these unfortunately have been lost to history. Uh, in 1935, they produced the first Chinese animation with sound called The Camel's Dance. And then in 1941, in the midst of the Second Sino-Japanese War, where, China was, where Japan was occupying some of China, uh, they produced the first feature-length Donghua film, Princess Iron Fan, as a form of nationalistic propaganda for the war, adapting a chapter from the Chinese epic of Journey to the West. Um, the film used extensive rotoscoping for its animation technique and would later go on to inspire Japanese animation industry. Um, they produced their own first feature-length animated film in their own propaganda film, Jap Momotaro Sea Eagles, two years later, and then also father of modern anime, uh, Osamu Tezuka from a of Astro Boy fame, would later cite Princess Iron Fan in addition to Disney uh, animated features as being a major influence on his work. So, you know, definitely it seems like, you know, the first feature-length animated film in Asia definitely came from China before J Japan. So post-World War II, right, with the establishment of communism in China under Mao Zedong, uh, the Shanghai Animation Film Studio was established as part of the Ministry of Film and Culture, um, and it's basically the mecca of Donghua. Uh, coinciding with the Communist Party's Hundred Flowers campaign, a period where the party encouraged open expression of the opinions regarding the party, both positive and negative, uh, this led to some of the most innovative works of animation in this period, often drawing from traditional Chinese art forms. Uh, you have the 1955 stop-motion animation The Magic Brush, uh, the first color sort, why the why um why is the crow black coated? Uh, the proud general in 1956, drawing from dynasty from Tang and Song dynasty era tapestries. Uh, we have 1958's Pixie Eats Watermelon, which uses innovative paper cut technique, kind of like stop motion. Um, and then we have Where's Mama in 1960, using ink wash and rust painting techniques. Um, uh, which would later also be used in Bu in Buffalo Boy and the Flute in 1963. Uh, you also have a clever duckling, which you stop most of the animation uh, in the form of origami. Now. Perhaps the height of this golden age of Chinese animation was 1964's Havoc in Heaven, again produced by the Wan brothers, telling the story of Sun Wukong's influence, uh, which was influenced by Beijing Opera House tradition. Um, I'll include some clips, and in some cases where they're available on YouTube, the entire films uh, in the show notes. I highly encourage you to check them out uh, to see the, the, the variety of animation style present in this golden era. Uh, many of these films got acclaim at various international film festivals, including the Annecy Film Festival, Locarno Film Festival, and now, at this point, though, politics and world history intersect with the Chinese animation industry. Uh, 1966 to 1976 is the period known as the Cultural Revolution, where remnants of capitalism and traditional Chinese elements were supposedly purged from society. Uh, many animators who had received international acclaim were forced to do hard labor and stop animating uh, by working in the fields as part of their quote-unquote re-education. Uh, those who were permitted to remain as animators at the studio often ended up working on propaganda films for the state with a much more realist art style that was in line with what you see of propaganda posters at the time. Uh, one such film from this time period would be 1973's The Little Trumpeter. 
Now, after Mao's death in 1976 and the subsequent arrest of the Gang of Four, who helped perpetrate uh, the Cultural Revolution, animators slowly returned to the studio, um, in particular the Shanghai Film Studio, uh, and they slowly be known as the Silver Age of Chinese animation. Uh, the most notable films during this time period were 1979's Neza, Conquers the Dragon's King, or Nerza, as I've also heard it referred to. Um, this is a spiritual successor to Havoc in Heaven, um, and then also 1988's Inkwa-style film uh, Feeling from Mountain and Water, um, about about a Gukwing, I think. Uh, apologies for the pronunciation, James. Uh, um, uh, master passing on his lessons to the next generation, kind of in the same way that these masters of animation were looking to pass on their craft of animation to the next generation. Now, while these are beautiful films in their own right, uh, they were seen as more as the last hurrah of that golden era animators, as opposed as opposed to any real future progress for the industry, stylistically or technologically. Uh, this is especially true in contrast to Japanese anime industry and the work of Disney, which had basically had constant innovation between World War II uh, and and the 1970s, late 1970s, as opposed to Chinese animation having to take a break, um, you know, after the mid 60s uh, through the mid mid 70s um you know you know in, into the 80s you know when it, when when Neza was was certainly well received as a film at various international festivals for the average viewer you know comparing the techniques from the 1960s uh against the latest and greatest of the 1980s from abroad there really is no comparison uh, further with an active base of tv uh television television watchers the japanese anime industry had actually you know had an opportunity and, and an opportunity to employ more animators uh to be able to develop their skills and really grow their industry not only in quality but also in you know scale and number of animators meanwhile the chinese animation industry you know because television wasn't really as propagated throughout china during the cultural revolution and you know mostly relied on film um the number of animators inherently and separate from the cultural revolution would just have been the market would have been a lot smaller in the first place um, another perhaps even bigger impact, though, of the Cultural Revolution on the Chinese animation industry would be shaping the tastes of an entire generation. While Japan in the 60s and 70s, you know, had shows like Speed Racer, Lupin III, and the entire mecha genre, including Gundam being developed at the time, the, so that animation was not just for kids, but also for adults, um, though alongside kids, long-running kids shows like Sazai-san and Doraemon, uh, the only animation seen during those two decades in China were propaganda films. I'm not quite sure... Uh, uh, but for Chinese who grew up at uh, how, but for Chinese who grew up in a time period, animation became seen as something for kids once they grew up. If anyone you know has family members who grew up in this time period who could you know reach out and tell me about this, let me know. Um, but yeah, you know, say you were born in 1970. By the time you grew up and have kids in the 1990s, you didn't really have any strong cultural resonance to. Uh, watching animation in general, um, the only association really being the propaganda films, so it wasn't really seen as something, you know, for adults. Um, plus, you know, with Deng Xiaoping reopening up the country in the 80s and the 90s, again, you have the Disney renaissance and the massive anime like Pokemon and Dragon Ball that, you know, the Chinese animation couldn't compare with. So, you know, during this time period, you know, aside from those couple of, you know, Silver Age last hurrah films, um, into the 90s and, and, and early 2000s, you really didn't have much animated uh, Chinese shows aside from maybe some shows meant specifically for toddler age children. Now that being said, you know, while the 90s, 2000s, and early 2010s didn't see many notable films or TV series for the Chinese animation industry, that's not to say it was completely dormant. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the episode, many Chinese animators cut their teeth working as animators and artists for the Japanese anime producers as well as as, as Western cartoons. Uh, my friend James told me about a version of Journey to the West that was a co-production with the 
with a Canada, a Canadian uh, TV studio. So, you know, while some made Chinese donghua basically look like anime, that's because many animators at this time spent time as outsourced animators for Japanese anime in the first place. So, you know, naturally they become used to that style and they became very good at doing this. So, you know, that being said, China was also a source for outsourcing talent for CG animated films, which would later come into their choice of style for donghua in the future. One side tangent for this time period. Now, uh, the advent of Adobe Flash as an animation tool offered up a lot of opportunity for Chinese animators aside from the outsourcing opportunities from anime and Western animation. Uh, 1999 saw the launch of Flash Empire, the first Chinese Flash animation community online featuring user-generated content. Uh, perhaps the most notable of these was a, was, a, was a sort called Zhao Zhao, or a series of sorts, uh, which was about a stick figure animation that featured very flashy martial arts combat done in Flash that became popular not only in China, but also in the West on sites like Newgrounds. I remember watching Zhao Zhao, or at least something very similar to Zhao Zhao, very inspired with the, with the martial arts uh, Flash animation uh, of stick figures uh, back in middle school myself. Um, so, you know, technically I guess that's the first Dongwa I might have ever seen. Uh, Flash animators were known as Shangke, apologies again for butchering that, um, and in, in absence of any significant domestic animation projects to really work on, many aspiring animators inspired by anime and Western animation flooding into the market would cut their own teeth on their own Flash projects. Uh, this, this mark still holds true as some of the flashiest, no pun intended, uh, cuts of animation in both Japanese and Chinese animation come from those who are considered part of the web generation of animators trained on Flash. So training, so training animation for both outsourced contracts on Flash Animation, in 2015, the first real notable animated film in decades came out in Monkey King Hero is Back, a CG animated film that took cues from Havoc in Heaven and Neza defeats the Dragon King. Uh, 2016 saw the animated film Big Fist and Begonia, a joint venture between Korean studio Murr, who did uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, um, and local studio B&T Studio, uh, which received much critical acclaim abroad um, and also received uh, international distribution from Funimation Films in the West a few years later. Now, so far I've been talking primarily about films since, again, the Chinese market was mostly added for the history of the industry, wasn't really plugged into the broadcast television. However, with Flash and the rise of the internet, webtoon-style original net animations became more and more common, and there was a number of Chinese donghua, uh, not necessarily beholden to a set time length or broadcast station might require, um, that became popular. I can't claim to know all the details about you know how source material comes about, be they manhua, the Chinese equivalent of manga, or similarly the equivalent of light novels or or novels or live tea action. I don't really know the details of how the you know how production co companies decide what to adapt and what not to adapt. But what I do know is by the early 2010s, there was enough demand for these series that the Howliners Animation League was founded in Shanghai in 2013. Now, according to one article I found from 2016, uh, Howline Animation League's shows accounted for 50% of Chinese domestic animation and 80% of their net animation. Now, I can't verify these numbers independently, but suffice to say, uh, even when putting together a list of Donghua from Mal, which they are on my anime list, uh, they had the largest share of studios. Uh, part of that might be that they have a subsidiary company, Iman, uh, which is based in Japan and serves as a point of contact for collaboration with Japanese studios. It's actually managed by Soji Murahama, uh, who co-founded Studio Gonzo. 
Now, from 2016 onwards, Howlanders and Iman would actually put out a number of TV anime that actually got picked up by Crunchyroll for Western distribution in addition to airing on Japanese television broadcasts as well as in China, uh, which is how some Western anime fans may have been exposed to modern Donghua, even if we didn't know so at the time. These may be Donghua by technicality, given that many of them had Korean or even fully Japanese production staff, aside from you know just the production company being Iman slash Howliners. Uh, many of these had Japanese dubbing, even on Crunchyroll even, without any option for Chinese language. Uh, but that being said, if you knew where to look, you often would see hints of Chinese influence either in the characters' names, which aren't translated usually, or specific terminology or cultural touchstones. Uh, just going back, we're gonna, let, let, let's, let's actually go ahead and look at some of these shows that came out on Crunchyroll. Um, I actually went and watched the first episode of most of these series, uh, much like I would for the first impressions episode of a normal anime season. So, you know, one of the first ones was The Outcast, or Hitori no Shita, which is based on a Chinese webcomic about a college student who runs into trouble named Jiang Xi, uh, namely Jiang Xi, or Chinese zombies, uh, when visiting his grandfather's grave. Allegedly, while the first season was somewhat weak, uh, being produced in Korea, later seasons in 2018 and 2020 upped the production quality by moving it in-house to China. Uh, Cheating Craft is a short series which adapts a Chinese novel with scholarly exams that determine your lot in life, much like Chinese college entrance exams are, complete, are completed in teams of learning types who focus on studying and cheating types who prevent others from cheating off of their partners. Uh, this one was animated predominantly by Jam Japanese studio Blade. Uh, Blood Divorce is based on the vampire accent webcomic from China called Time Prisoners about humans who become vampires after a vaccine meant to deal with a pandemic, which I'm pretty sure is not meant to be COVID-19. Please get vaccinated. Um, you know, uh, you know, turns them into vampires. Uh, this one was directed by a Chinese director from Howliners, but seems to have been animated mostly in Korea at Namu Animation. And then finally, we have To Be Hero, a comedy series that kind of reminds me of a toilet humor version of One Punch Man, uh, supervised by Chinese by Japanese animator Shinichi Watanabe of Excel Saga fame, but was directed by Howlin's co-founder Li Haoling. Uh, notably, this one was actually animated in China by Studio Lan, uh, which started off as basically one guy who went by the name of Lan and has since recruited a dozen other animators to work on it with him. Now, of these four shows, I think To Be Here is probably the most unique, both with its humor, you know, humor in terms of pacing and the way that they present the, hum the humor on screen, um, uh, and as well as the animation for various action sequences, which stand apart from what you'd expect from a typical anime soap. Again, this may be due to actually being produced in China as opposed to being outsourced, you know, to Japan or, or Korea, but as far as those hyper-flashy moments we talked about before, those shine through and the taken timing on humor is just different, like I said. Um, in fact, there was actually actually a 2018 spiritual successor to To Be Hero called To Be Heroine, uh, which while the comedy and accent are similarly off the rails, allegedly the Japanese version of these shows isn't quite as good as the Chinese version due to content being combined and some of it being cut off to fit uh, Japanese TV broadcast lengths uh, versus the original web release in China. Uh, one thing I did though when I watched it was actually some of it was sounded like it was still in Chinese while others had been translated to Japanese. Um, also, there was apparently a show called Fox Spirit Matchmaker, which was originally on Crunchyroll up until 2020, uh, October of 2020 last year. Um, but apparently it's super popular and has, is ongoing for five seasons at this point. But again, I haven't seen it myself. 
Now that being said, again, for most Western animes fans exposed to the Chinese Donghua, uh, even if they didn't know it was Donghua at the time, uh, this wasn't a super great showing. Again, if you look at these shows, as well as 2017's Silver Guardian, based on the Chinese manhwa and produced at Japanese Studio Blade, uh, A Centaur's Life, based on Japanese slice of life manga about monster girls and produced in Japan, and Evil or Alive, uh, based on the Chinese manhwa about a re-education camp for internet addicts, uh, none of these were particularly well received. Uh, none of them break the top 1,000 most viewed anime on Mal. Uh, the Outcast comes close at 1130 uh, with four, uh, with 45,000 viewers, um, and most don't even break the 7.0 mark on my anime list, uh, which generally means it's rated on the lower end, with Cheating Craft coming in as low as 5.42, Blood Divorce at 5.49, and Evil or Alive at 5.81. Now, Fox Spirit Matchmaker does have a 7.21 on Mal, but only with 9,000 viewers, and the sequel to 2B Hero, which got a 6.98, uh, 2B Hero in, in 2018 got a 7.09, but only 5.5 thousand viewers. The inconsistent animation and writing quality, I think, because, you know, the Chinese animation, in terms of animation, I think was fine. Um, you know, generally speaking, aside from some inconsistencies due to being outsourced to China and Japan, uh, and the writing quality, I think, you know, I don't think the animation, the industry quite had as much experience with writers in terms of writing, you know, scripts and directing as much. Um, so, you know, still getting under the belt in that regard. And unfortunately, these early efforts, you know, led to a negative impression that kind of unfortunately exists to this day. Now, this all sifted in 2017 with the release of The King's Avatar. Um, now, in my research on my anime list, I've put together a list of just over 100 Donghua you can find. While over two-thirds come from 2017 onward, it wasn't as though there were no series being produced in this time. It's just that they weren't really being marketed to the West as with the Howliner slash Emon and the Japanese dubbed language version of the anime. Like animes in the early 2000s, right from you know Naruto, Bleach, and One Piece, there were no official subs or dubs really for the latest shows. Uh, so fan translated the groups would catch the shows online, uh, end up making fan translations and uploading them to YouTube or somewhere else. Uh, one of these groups, uh, Baiyi Subs, actually was officially brought on by Tencent, uh, the, the distributor of King's Avatar, to help provide subtitles for the series, uh, which is a series about an esports veteran raising a team of newbies to take on his former teammates. Uh, this was really the first instance I can find of of a Donghua being brought to the West in the original Mandarin language, and between that and the quality, which is 7.94 on Mal with over 143,000 users, good for 536th most popular on this site, um, people began taking Donghua a little bit more seriously here in the West. Uh, Tencent has become a has a couple of other series also on their YouTube channel that you can find with subs, uh, including 2018's Mo Dao Zusi and Soul Land, as well as 2020's Spicy Girl and the Scumbag system. Now, since then, it's been more and more obvious that Donghua don't need to be Japanized, Japanized for you know Western consumption. While To Be Heroin in 2018 again didn't have part of it in Japanese and the aforementioned cut content, um, other shows have not really altered, been altered to my knowledge. Uh, Psychic Princess, uh, another Emon Howlanders co-production in 2018, came to Crunchyroll with its Mandarin language version intact. Um, over on Netflix, we have 2018's Scissor Seven, a comedy Donghua about a wannabe assassin, and 2020's Daily Life of the Immortal King and Legends of Exorcist. Uh, we also have the co-releasing Boys Love Donghua, um, Heaven's Official Blessing uh, from Howliners alongside on Netflix as well as on Funimation. And Funimation also has the aforementioned link click about some supernatural photography detectives as well as the sci-fi series The Defective all this coming year or this, this year. Uh, not to mention the global productions and collaborations, you know, such as Eden from Netflix. It's partly being produced in China, partly as well as the short series Obey Me on Funimation this season. 
Now, back on the film side, the industry hasn't been slacking either. Uh, in 2018, Howliners partnered with Comics Wave, the Japanese studio responsible for modern classic Your Name from Makoto Shinkai, uh, to make the anthology film Flavors of Youth. Again, produced in Japan, but the subject matter being set in China. Uh, it's currently available on Netflix. Highly recommend you check that out. And then in 2019, the industry had a breakout year with Nerza uh, from Basic and Light Pictures being available in 2021. Uh, and it's the third highest grossing film in China of all time, not just of animated films. And again, this is available on Netflix. Um, in addition, uh, the, the 2021 sequel, Jiang Jia, is available on Amazon Prime. Not only that, Pearl Studio, a local animation studio that had helped produce Kung Fu Panda 3, had a major Western release in Abominable about you know the, the, the Mount Everest Yetis um, and would later uh, release Over the Moon on Netflix in 2020, which ended up becoming Oscar-nominated. Uh, Netflix has been picking up a number of successful Chinese Dongwar films, including yet another Nerza adaptation called New Gods, Nerza Reborn, from a different animation studio in the 2019 film, as well as Whist Dragon, produced for Sony animated pictures at a Shanghai studio. Um, you know, um, and you know, it, it's kind of crazy to see that that that's the state of Chinese animation at this point. Now, this is part of the episode where I veer away from fact finding and reporting on the history of Donghua and veer into my own subjective opinions on what makes these series stand out from Japanese anime. Again, this is all mostly informed by my own impressions. After the two dozen or so first episodes I've seen, I haven't seen really any series to completion yet. Um, and so, you know, if you're a major Donghua fan who feels like I've cited your favorite series, uh, my apologies. I'm definitely welcome to, try, welcome to any and all feedback here. If you have any recommendations for shows I should check out or or that sometimes to definitely dig a little bit deeper in. So, you know, again, going, going back to the golden age of Donghua films, two things really stand out to me. Uh, one, it was, there was a reverence for Chinese history and traditional arts, uh, particularly the subject matter of films, you know, as well, you know, uh, for example, adapting classic tales and myths of the modern era, um, while also not being afraid to do relatively novel innovation in subject matter and medium. Uh, for example, the uh, ink bus or paper cut style. Uh, to that end, I think modern Donghua similarly are willing to experiment in terms of medium. Uh, well, Japanese animation for the longest time clung stubbornly to hand-drawn cell animation aesthetic, uh, with only recently, you know, CG animation really coming to the forefront um, in a couple of studios. Chinese animators were, as a whole, I feel, are a lot more comfortable adapting to, to newer technologies, especially digital, as evidenced by their adoption of flash animation and their outsourcing work and even CG animation. Um, you know, it's only really recently that some of the largest anime films in Japan have gone to CG, such as Lupin Third, Doraemon, and uh, the ill-fated attempt from Studio Ghibli with Earwig and the Wits. And while series like Beastars or D4DJ so that studios like Studio Orange or Sanjigen are really pushing the limits of what CZ can do for anime TV series, uh, you also have series like X-Arm or Berserk 2016 or So Are My Spider that really so it's not quite universal yet. Uh, by contrast, not only do you have box office records for CZ shows like Nerza, you also have hyper-realistic CZ television series. Uh, for example, Funimation's The Defector being a recent one or the, the, uh, the Tale of the Exorcist on Netflix. Uh, side tangent here, uh, speaking of unique mediums, I really wanted to talk about Thunderbolt Fantasy. Now, this is a puppet series out of Japan, not mainland China proper, um, though it does air there apparently, as well as in, in Japan and on Crunchyroll in Japanese. Um, I've heard a lot of good things, you know, being written by the madman Gen Urobochi, uh, with a score by the legendary Hiroyuki Sawano. Uh, but man, there's just something about the physicality and, and the wuxia levels of insanity these puppets get up to in their accents from the very first minute of the very first episode that somehow 
it feels even more exaggerated than what traditional CG animation could could accomplish. Um, honestly, yeah, I guess this is. I always have been a big fan of the Muppets, um, and you know Jim Henson's Dark Crystal. So I guess this kind of goes in line with that. Um, I would strongly recommend checking it out on Crunchyroll, even if my animalist doesn't count it as animation since it's technically not stop motion animation. But I don't think that's to stop you from checking this show out. Uh, anyway, subject matter-wise, uh, for Donghua, my assessment of modern post-2000 Donghua is that Generally, again, based on my limited experience, they can really be divided into three rough categories. Uh, the first are shows based on a historical Chinese setting. Uh, these may or may not be strictly based on the real world, or more likely than not, based on a somewhat fa- Chinese fantasy uh, genre of Zhangjia. Uh, apparently, one common trope are so-called cultivators, who are people who seek immortality or to become, you know, ascend to a higher state of being. By methods I'm not fully sure about, um, again, I haven't dived into the genre as much, but it seems to involve, you know, dealing with gods and monsters and medi- and doing meditation and, and you know, helping helping other people and so on to try to reach, again, this higher state of being. Uh, generally, I found that these don't quite hold my interest as much. Um, perhaps it's just not being as close into the conventions and tropes of the genre, um, you know, as I may say, with the historical context of Japanese historical anime uh, that I've picked up over the last two decades being a weeb, uh, all those the Nobunaga series, though I will say, I guess, Journey to the West uh, as, you know, mythology definitely speaks to me. Um, now, sorry, you have anime, you know, that has some Chinese elements. I'm thinking about, you know, characters who come from China, such as Tao Ren in Salmon King, who brings Jiangxi, or homages to history, such as Dynasty Warriors, or Kingdom, or even Dragon Ball being a take on Journey to the West, um, which is a Chinese myth. Even, you know, Fusugi Yugi, which was an isekai from the 90s, uh, was set in a world directly inspired by ancient China. But again, that's not the, quite the same as being authentically from China, uh, depicting China. Um, and then secondly, you have sci-fi series. So I haven't really come across one that's really captured my heart as much. Uh, in my mind, sci-fi is generally used as a critique and commentary on the society its author comes from. And so perhaps because modern China's crackdown on dissenting opinions makes it a little bit harder to be subversive, makes it hard to find one that resonates with me. And then finally, you have adaptations that generally are based on modern China, you know, especially urban life and a new, newly global China that, that deals with the internet and, and what it means to you know, live in, in these cities. While that sounds kind of vague, for some reason, I find those in general, not just in Chinese anime, but also in Japan also, when it's really focused on urban city life, uh, to be the most relatable and engaging to me. I guess it's a New York boy in me. Um, you know, perhaps it's just due to the globalized nature of our world, but a series like Link Click or King's Avatar or, you know, the film Flavors of Life, even Daily Life of the Immortal King to some degree, are based, which is based on school life in Japan, feel a lot more relatable to me. I will say I wish that, in general, I wish that Dongwa had a little bit more variety in the subject material and genre beyond these three genres, it seems. Um, but I could see that, you know, being one of two reasons why I think that. One, um, the industry, like I said, has, you know, while they have been animating for decades at this point, um, I don't know if they've really had as much time to, you know, uh, flex, its, flex its muscles, you know, writing-wise and develop that talent yet. It's, again, it's only been like six years since, um, you know, that, that, that breakout film in 2015 um the second and probably more realistic and accurate reason that i I don't get it is and i don't think there's a lot of variety is that i just haven't been exposed to it yet which is again where the call for people to recommend me donghua uh, comes in 
Now, my thought on Dongwon production quality, or again, um, that Howliner's Conceivable Outsource series aside, Dongwon really stands toe to toe with most anime put out there each season. Heck, when it comes to the comedy series like Scissor 7 or To Be Hero, even just comedic segments within otherwise more serious shows, the way the characters are depicted feels much more fluid and silly, which suits comedy, I think, in more general for me. Speaking of fluid, I think that also when it comes to action sequences, all but the most A-plus tier of action sequences from Japan, uh, you know, thinking like, you know, Jujutsu Kaisen, really should watch their backs. I think as the a generation of flash animators from Japan, or uh, from China, really know how to make these bombastic moments in shows that otherwise might not have, you know, not, not have the right to such kinetic action in Sakuga. Um, there was one short video animation in 2017 called Fog Hill of the Five Elements that everyone would just refer to as that awesome Chinese fight animation, which actually ended up getting a short series uh, with a second season on the way. I'll look at the original sort in the show notes, but it just kind of goes to show that, you know, there are these amazing animators out there who can do these amazing sequences. I will say when it comes to historical shows also, especially in 3D, uh, everyone tends to be uh, a Bisonin pretty boy, uh, which isn't quite my thing. But hey, if you want pretty boys, I guess, you know, you have nothing lacking there. Anyway, it's been half an hour of me talking about Dongwa, but, you know, where should you, a presumably Western anime fan, start? Well, throughout the episode, I have been dropping references to Donghua and where you can find them on major Western anime platforms, so hopefully you caught those. But to summary for specific recommendations, uh, let's go through all of each platform. Um, on Crunchyroll, I would say you probably should you know, skip most of those Howliner uh, collabs since they're not that great, uh, with the exception of To Be Hero, uh, which again has a 6.98 on my anime list. Uh, it has a unique sense of humor and it's prequel uh, to To Be Heroine, uh, which is 7.09, and which is also worth checking out. If you want a little bit more of a historical, maybe rom-com type show, uh, I think Psychic Princess 7.71 on my anime list has some promise there. And of course, you know, Thunderbolt Fantasy, which again, doesn't have my anime list but rating, but honestly, one of the most dynamic shows I previewed and definitely has like the most, uni- one of the most unique animations I've seen out there uh, so far, if you consider the puppet to be animation. Now, on Funimation, uh, honestly, Link Click is probably the, the reason I started this episode, and it's a great place to really get started. It has an 8.89 on my anime list. Now, I personally was not a fan of Heaven's Official Blessing. I felt it was a little bit too slow-paced for my liking. I honestly fell asleep like three times trying to get through the episode. Um, and didn't cl- I think the cultivator element of the fantasy didn't really click with me either. Um, but it is very highly rated Boys Love series uh, at 8.38 on my anime list. So if you're looking for that, why don't you check that out? Now, on Netflix, in addition to having access to Heaven's Official Blessing as well, you've got comedy series Scissor 7 at 8.26 on my anime list, uh, Overpowered School Fantasy uh, Daily Life of the Immortal King at 7.28, and Legends of Exorcism at 7.51 at what looks like a cultivated genre 3D CG animated show. Also worth noting on Netflix are the Donghua films. Uh, Flavors of Youth, that collab between Makoto Sunkai's Studio Comics Wave is on there, 7.14 on my anime list, as well as the 2019 box office Beast of Neza, which is a 7.65 on my anime list. You can also find more Western-focused Donghua with Over the Moon, which was Oscar-nominated last year, and Whist Dragon, which came out earlier this year. Now, beyond that, you need to start looking for Donghua on official Chinese uh, official Chinese ch- channels. Now, the main streaming platforms for China are Bilibili, uh, Tencent Video, and 
Ikii, I-Q-I-Y-I. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that. Um, though I don't really have any personal experience with really accessing any of those directly. Um, not sure if you need a VPN or not. Ha uh, please, Nord or ExpressVPN, someone sponsor me. Um, but yeah, anyway, the limitation here is that, of course, on those official platforms, they will be entirely in Chinese with no English subtitles, since, again, those are meant for a Chinese audience. Um, I won't link to any specific... Now, as I mentioned, though, fan subbing groups will often make translations and put them on YouTube. I won't link to any specific ones um, just yet since I haven't checked them out myself aside from, you know, uh, King's Avatar, which has the official subtitles. Um, there, there is one called uh, Adorable Food Goddess, which based on the clips I've seen might be the, sim very similar to Food Wars, which, you know, for its flaws I did enjoy. Um, that said, as I mentioned, uh, you know, Tencent does have a YouTube channel with official English subtitles for a couple of their series. The aforementioned King's Avatar at 7.94, my analyst, and what some call the best current Donghua uh, Mo Dao Zuxi, uh, or MDZC as Z8, as some people call it, um, at 8.49 on my anime list. So hopefully this Primon Dongwa has been useful to you. Uh, I myself definitely am indebted to, again, many YouTubers and bloggers out there uh, who I did, who I used to research this. Um, I recommend you check these all out. Uh, Donghua Reviews is probably the biggest Donghua YouTuber and the champion of Donghua on YouTube that I've seen. Has multiple videos on the history of Donghua and what sets apart from Japanese anime, as well as, you know, doing series by series seasonal reviews, kind of in the same way they do here, I, I would do for a Japanese anime, which honestly, I'm not really quite sure what the structure is for seasonal and what the season Seasons of Chinese Donghua are, so definitely check his stuff out. Um, Accented Cinema is a little bit more focused on, as the name implies, cinema and film, um, but you know he had a great video essay about Chinese animes and history worth watching out. Similarly, uh, the YouTube channel Wukong, uh, W-O-O-K-O-N-G, also had a great video on the same topic as well. And then this last one's not a channel, but a blog, but you, Alexis, has a lot of recommendations of different Donghua to check out based on whether it's you know, by genre or by studio or whatever. Uh, he also has a great article about different Chinese Donghua studios and which of their works you should start out with, like which ones are more focused on CG versus you know, traditional animation and so on. Uh, while I'm giving thanks out, uh, thanks to my friend James, uh, who chatted with me about Chinese animation and did some language help for me here. I apologize again, James, for uh, mispronouncing a bunch of stuff here. Also, my friend Lara for recommending Link Clink for me in the first place. And also the random excerpts of uh, Wei Ha Wu's research paper book thing, uh, Chinese Animation, Creative Industries, and Digital Culture, that I couldn't actually find a full copy of. But, you know, the clips, the, the excerpts I could find online really helped bridge that gap uh, I had in this episode about Flash Animation's impact on the Chinese animation industry. So yeah, that's my primer on Donghua and resources where you can learn more if you're interested. I know I definitely am. I definitely want to go back and watch some of those golden era films as well as, you know, figure out which of the modern series I think are worth checking out in full and why I should do that. Now, as far as how I'm going to handle Donghua in the future on this podcast... I don't think I'm equipped to really be able to comment about them critically yet. Again, I haven't even finished the full series myself, um, so I don't really know what my tastes are, and you know, it's not like the anime industry is going to let up anytime soon with how many shows they're producing, so I'm going to have my hands full either way. Um, that said, I think I will probably mention if I notice a hot Dangwa coming out on Funimation or Crunchyroll or whatever the combined form is once Sony figures out what they're doing there uh, each season. Um, and probably once a year, I may end up going back and doing a check on, hey, what Dangwa shows have I watched in the past year or so? Um, 
but otherwise, I don't think I'm going to mention it too much on the podcast. Again, don't get me wrong. I don't think Donghua are inherently less good than anime just because they come from China. Good stories in animation are good stories in animation no matter where they come from. Um, and I want to be sure to acknowledge that on the show, especially given the Chinese animation industry's uh, impact and influence on the Japanese animation industry. Um, I just don't want to, you know, aside from this episode, speak about stuff I don't really know much about. But don't, rest assured, Donghua fans, I will be watching Donghua even if I'm not talking about it as directly. Um, but yeah, if you have any, if you've watched any Dongwa, let me know which ones you think I should be watching out for. Um, what are your favorite genre or studios or series? What are some upcoming series that I should be checking out? Um, have I missed anything about the history of, of Chinese animation in this mini lecture, be it historical or more recent? Um, let me know on Twitter at yetanoanipod or via email at yetanotheranimepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can follow us on my anime list at ninjaboy333, boy with an I. Uh, we're all on the major podcast services, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Uh, subscribe, leave a review, or at the very least, share it with another, another weeby friend of yours. Uh, support us more directly by doing so on patreon.com. Links to all of that will be in our show notes. Intro and outro music by Suichi Sakagami at tandas.com. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. And that's it for this episode. We're, uh, not this month, but next month, uh, on the first and third Fridays of each month. Uh, next time on yet another anime podcast. Uh, I may need a break from watching just all these shows uh, that I'm trying to cover for the podcast, uh, you know, so I can actually have time to go and watch the seasonal shows. Um, to that end, I may actually end up doing a bit of a lighter episode next time. Uh, maybe even take a break. I'm not quite sure yet. Uh, but if I do, I'll probably be focusing on recalibrating my main analyst scores. I think I might have some, uh, you know, in hindsight, some fours and fives that probably should be a little bit lower. Um, but, you know, we'll see what actually ends up happening. Uh, until then, though, see you, Space Cowboy. Bam.